Alright everyone, welcome to episode 35 of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host once again, Robbie Burke. And on this episode I had the pleasure in interviewing Mike Robertson. Mike Robertson is a strength and conditioning coach from Indianapolis in the United States. And he's also the co-owner of IFAS, Indianapolis Fitness and Sports Training. On this episode me and Mike discuss many topics including Mike's background, problems Mike sees within the fitness industry, Mike's take on assessment and corrective exercise, and how Mike has incorporated corrective strategies from the Postural Restoration Institute into his program design. This was a very, very good interview, guys, with lots of great information from Mike, and I hope you guys really enjoy the show. Okay, Mr. Mike Robertson, uh, as with all my guests, it's an absolute honour and pleasure to have you on my show, and um, particularly with yourself, because uh, I have to say, when I was a young coach getting into the field, um, along with Eric Cressy and Mike Boyle, you were also one of my biggest influences, so I want to thank you for uh, all the work you've, you've, um, you've done over the years, it's really helped me uh, uh, develop myself as a coach. Just for our, our listeners who aren't uh, too familiar with you, which I'd imagine won't be too many, just fill us in on the background. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll give you like the quick background, kind of where I'm at now. Uh, did like the the world tour, if you will, of the fitness industry. I've done a little bit of everything. I've been in uh, Division One collegiate strength and conditioning environment. I've done rehab in a chiropractic facility. I've done one-on-one in-home personal training. And right now, I essentially have two businesses that I own and operate. The first is Indianapolis Fitness and Sports Training. So we're a smaller facility, uh, a couple hundred clients. We focus on semi-private largely. Uh, so, you know, small groups, two to four at a time, wide swath of people coming in there. We've got people that are the more like corrective exercise type clients. We've got your average physique or fat loss client. And then we've got, you know, a wide range of athletes from young, middle and high school age athletes up to elite professional athletes. Uh, so that's iFast. And then I also own another business called Robertson Training Systems, which is largely online work and consulting. And that's that's a lot of the stuff that you probably see for me on a day-to-day basis. So that's the, the RTS blog, that's the speaking, the writing, uh, you know, all that good stuff. So as you can imagine, I've got more than a few irons in the fire at this point in time, but uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I like being busy and I like doing my best to contribute and do something positive for our industry. Great stuff. How did you get into the field, Mike? How did you become the Mike Robertson we know today? <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of the good coaches out there are, are failed athletes, and I think that describes me pretty well. Uh, growing up, I was always a pretty good athlete. Uh, my dad was a collegiate hammer thrower, so I've kind of got like that fast twitch, strength, power side in me, but I was never good enough to play anything uh, at, a, at a high level, so I wasn't good enough at basketball, and I wasn't tall enough to play volleyball, so... Um, you know, basically what I started doing was, you know, I started lifting weights when I was about 16, 15, 16 years old, just in an effort to get better at sports. And I saw a noticeable improvement, you know, almost, you know, overnight, within a month or two, I had a little bit more zip on my passes, I could shoot a basketball from farther out, I was spiking a volleyball harder, hitting a baseball further. So I, I was an instant believer. And I knew that this stuff made a difference, and that was with very shoddy programming. I mean, I think about what I did when I was 15, 16 years old. I mean, it was archaic. But I bought in early. I mean, I always loved sports. I loved strength training. So basically, when I figured out that I was 22 years old and I needed to figure some sort of career path for this exercise science degree, I interned uh, at the athletic weight room at Ball State University, and I realized I can get paid 
to merge the two things in life I'm most passionate about, which were athletics and performance training. So really from that day forward, I've just kind of put my nose to the grindstone, learned as much as I can, uh, I've attended seminars and, you know, watched webinars and DVDs and read books, you know, just to try and put all the pieces together. And I I think I'm a little bit closer now than I was 15 years ago when I started, but still got a long ways to go. Who would you say have been your biggest influences um, on you both as a person and as a coach? Sure. You know, if we're just talking more professionally, uh, a lot of the, the same people that you hear about quite often, you know, like uh, Gray Cook is a guy that's obviously influenced me quite a bit. Bill Hartman, another guy that's influenced me uh, tremendously, not just personally, but professionally, just seeing his approach to continuing education and getting better. Uh, another guy that I've learned a ton from, and it's scary because he's like my age, but he's just ridiculously smart, is Joel Jameson. Mm. Uh, you know, I've taken a ton of his energy system materials and applied that with great success with my athletes. Eric Cressy, another guy, I mean, he's younger than I am. Uh, we've kind of came up in the industry together, but he's another guy that I look at, you know, professionally uh, for guidance. Um, and then personally, you know, just like people that, are, that I, I'm close to in life, some of the people that... Uh, I used to train in a one-on-one environment. I look up to because they were a little bit older. Uh, they were obviously incredibly successful professionally because if you can afford to bring somebody into your house to have them train you, you're doing pretty well financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but one or two of those people just really you know jived with me philosophically. So those are some people I look to for mentoring. Um, you know, just people like that. You know, it's. I try and pull from anybody, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's a mark of a good student. You look to who's more knowledgeable than you in a certain topic area, and you learn as much as you can from them. And I think uh, if there's one thing that I do particularly well, it's that I'm willing to seek out who's really good in a given area so that I can learn from the best, so that I can make myself better. What would you say is your training philosophy? Now, I know some people don't like the word philosophy. Sometimes they say, they'll say they'll say principles. So, you know, what sure. what are your training principles? If you want to say it that way, yeah, you know, and this is something I'm always refining uh, and tweaking and trying to build upon. But if you've read my stuff lately, uh, the big things that I'm talking about are like these three bases, right, or these three foundations. And the first is your movement foundation. Mm-hmm. And, and I just believe that to my core. Um, whether you want to call it corrective exercise or whatever you want to call it, you have to move well. And if you don't, I think you have a tendency to break down, uh, especially the athletes that I work with. Uh, we're talking about some of the best athletes in their respective sports in the world. And you see little things that these people are not doing well, and it's either costing them uh, as far as games missed it's little nagging injuries that are holding back their performance. So, you know, I'm a huge believer that movement is the foundation. And if you are trying to build your athletes or your clients, regardless of end goal, on a faulty movement foundation that you will struggle. You will not see optimal success. So that is like my key principle, right? You have to move well. And then from there, as far as especially with athletes go, uh, I, I believe the other two foundations that you have to spend time and energy focusing on are strength because strength is just such a, it, it's like the key, right? It's like a gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. So strength is important, obviously, if you want to get stronger, but getting stronger can make you stronger, or it can make you faster. It can make you more powerful. 
So if you work with athletes and you're not spending a dedicated amount of time getting them stronger, you're leaving performance on the table. And then the other one is smart energy system training. And again, I would I would credit Joel for really kind of opening my eyes on this front. I was one of the people that thought, you know, everybody just needs like glycolytic, high intensity training. And now, you know, I've just got a much broader understanding of the energy systems that we're trying to train, the best ways to train them. Because uh, I think a lot of times now, if you look at what's out there, and the pendulum is coming back to the middle a little bit, but we had such a focus on high-intensity anaerobic glycolytic training. Now I think we have a better understanding of why the aerobic energy system is important, why that should be your foundation, um, regardless of, again, what your end goal is. Even if you're a wrestler or an MMA fighter, you still need a strong aerobic engine to help you recover, to help you blunt some of that anaerobic metabolism and to get you back into aerobic metabolism faster. So mm -hmm. those are the, the three big things that I always come back to. Movement, strength, and aerobic energy training. And if you're doing those three things, regardless of whether you work with corrective clients, fat loss clients, or athletes, I think you're going to be pretty darn successful. Great stuff. What do you think are the biggest problems you see within the fitness industry in general? So not just strength and conditioning, but this could preclude to personal training, rehabilitation, nutrition, in your opinion, because you've been in this field a long time, and even sure. even since I've gotten into this field, it's just, it's everywhere now, like, I mean, even here in Ireland, like, there's like a, there's like a, a like, it's kind of, it's funny, you know, it, it, back in Ireland up until about 10 years ago, it was there was three or four pubs in every town. <laughs> now yeah. now it's now it's three or four gyms in every town. It's just it's it, the fitness industry has just really taken off. But in your in your opinion, what's been the good and maybe uh, what's been the bad and maybe what's also been the good? Sure. You know, I'm going to give you one thing that is the good and the bad, okay? And that is information. I was going to say the internet. <laughs> the internet is like a blessing and a curse, right? Mm. Because if it weren't for the internet, maybe I would never know a guy like a Patrick Ward or a Charlie Weingroff or, you know, some of these people like Mladen, Jovanovich, you know, like some of these people I would never have contact or access to if it weren't for the internet, right? Mm -hmm. um, and people that I have learned from, Joel Jameson, another one, you know, like people that live in remote areas or, you know, hundreds or thousands of miles away from me um, that I can learn from on a daily basis. I can read their blogs or, you know, their articles or whatever. But on the flip side, like, too much information is a huge issue. And I run into more and more of this, even with high-level athletes. It doesn't matter if it's a high-level athlete, an average Joe. The people I work with are inundated every day with information. And they almost come to me as a filter because they don't have that capacity. Um, they just don't have the capacity to filter out information, to see people for what they're really worth, to understand who knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. So I think that's kind of like a blessing and a curse because kind of an offshoot of that is not just is there too much information, but there's a ton of bad information out there. Yeah. I mean, not even like in the ballpark of being good information, like flat out bad information from people that obviously don't train people you know, hey, look, I'm all for being, you know, uh, a fitness celebrity or, you know, a popular person on the internet or on TV, but there's just so much bad or misinformation out there. Um, that's why, you know, I, I do so much free stuff, you know, that's why I put so much information out there on my blog, you know, podcast is kind of hit or miss through my videos. I mean, that's why I do those things because I want to give people great information and I want to give them a trusted resource that they can lean on. Mm, absolutely.
Definitely, I think I think, I think that's the case with, with any of us, and and also I I, I presume I, I don't presume I know when you say that you say that in a way that you're not saying I have all the answers I know everything I mean we, we, we all of us don't come across it that we're just saying that we think on what we currently know these are better ways to do things I'm not saying that we know it all. Uh, absolutely, you know I have never claimed to know anything <laughs> to know everything. Um, I'd like to know I. Th- I'd like to think that I know a thing or two at this point, but mm. it's it's like literally every year I go back and I look at an old program I wrote, and you know, yeah, there are things that I would still do today, and there's numerous things that I've changed or yeah. I've evolved on. Yeah. Um, I think if you're totally flip flopping all the time, then you need to kind of maybe centrate your your focus a little bit, and and you need to stay away from the frid or the fringe. But, you know, absolutely, there's always little things. Because um, a lot of the athletes that I work with, I'll get them for a dedicated period of time every year. Maybe I'll get them for the summer, which is their off-season, or in the winter, which is their off-season. And I'm constantly tweaking and refining how I do things in a way that I think will give them a better result. Mike, you've kind of been painted with the brush of the corrective exercise guy. What... what like, do you like that title? Uh, how do you feel about it? Because I know at your at your core too, you're a big strength guy as well, and I think a lot of people kind of miss that with you. But uh, like, how is what's your feeling on being known as the corrective guy? You know, it, it when I was first getting started, it really bugged me, right? Because if you read like a lot of the articles that I wrote for T Nation or that I wrote for Elite, I mean, I was writing a ton of strength stuff, and I was a competitive powerlifter at the time too. So everything that I wrote or everything that I was learning about was with the end goal of making myself stronger or making other people stronger, right? So, you know, corrective exercise wasn't to just foam roll to foam roll or it wasn't glute activation just to say we're doing glute activation. It was with the end goal of giving somebody the mobility they needed to be strong or turning on the right muscles to allow them to be strong. You know, after a little while, I just kind of whirled with it and I figured it's better to be known for something than to be known for nothing. Exactly. You know? So I, I just ran with it, quite honestly. And if you follow my blog, if you follow uh, kind of the shift that I've been going through over the last year or two, you know, I've tried to move away from it a little bit. Uh, I feel like enough people know about me. I've got some traction in the industry. Uh, and it's time for me to kind of refocus my energy and my efforts. And the thing that I'm most passionate about Obviously, I love getting people strong, but, you know, I love building athletes. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I've spent so much time trying to, you know, come back to the center a little bit. Um, but, you know, quite honestly, I always tell people it's better to be known for something than to be known for nothing. So if corrective exercise is what people want to know me for and it gets them interested in reading my materials or learning my philosophies on training, then I'm okay with it. I have to say, I, I when I initially used to read, I used to, I mean, I used to read your and yours and Eric's articles all the time in T Nation, and I never really, in my mind, I was never like, oh, those guys are just correct exercises, because I both knew both of you had powerlessing backgrounds, so sure. I never, I never really kind of. It's only when people start saying, oh, he's the corrective exercise guy, and I was like, I was like, he doesn't really talk about it any more than Eric or Mike Boyle or, you know, sure. you, but it's just kind of you just got painted with that brush, you know, but. Uh, Assessments, Mike. I know yourself and Bill are very, very big on assessments, and of course, you know, people always defer to the, you know, the functional movement screen a lot of the time. Well, as I say, a lot of people. I mean, people within our circle in our sure. industry. I'm definitely a huge FMS guy, but at the same time, I I know it's not the it's it's a, it's a, an ends to mean and not the end in itself. But sure. uh, just just speak about 
what a good assessment is to you and uh, maybe discuss uh, what you do in an assessment. Sure. So I think the the FMS is a great tool. Uh, we use it in our facility, not exclusively and, and definitely yeah. not all the time. Yeah. But I think when it comes to assessments, you have to figure out what's best for the person standing in front of you, right? So for example, if you come into our gym and you're going to get pushed into a, a more large group setting, so maybe 10, 15 people in your class, just right off the bat, you don't want our highest level service, okay? So, you know, for that person, you're looking for the big rocks or the big red flags. So anybody that moves into our large group training programs is going to get FMS. We can do it quickly, we can find their limiting factor or mm -hmm. their limitation or asymmetry or whatever the case may be. We give them a corrective warm-up based on that issue and then they move right into our, our team training environment. Nice. The other nice thing about that is uh, we've kind of paired up with Smart Group Training and those guys are, Steve and Jared are the guys' names, but they're very sharp guys and they basically created like a wristband system. So if you are a whatever, like a shoulder mobility, you have a certain color wristband and we put that on you and you wear that when you're in boot camp. So we know, hey, this person shouldn't be doing something that's going to irritate their shoulders. Yeah. So it's a wonderful tool in that regard. For our higher level people, whether they're like a semi-private or a one-on-one, -on -one, um, part of it is the wow factor. So we do a much more comprehensive assessment. And this is what Bill and I teach in our diagnosis fitness courses. Hmm. We take them through you know, all the gross movements, right? So we're going to watch them squat. We're going to watch them stand on one leg. We're going to watch them lunge and push up. So all the tests you would see in the FMS. But then we're going to break it down even further. So if you're familiar with the SFMA, it may be similar to that. Yeah. Um, I haven't taken that course. But we're going to put the person through all those paces, right? I'm going to look at isolated mobility through all their various joints. I'm going to look at their flexibility. We're going to do manual muscle testing. Um, and then if it's an athlete, we're going to do you know even further. We're going to go beyond the orthopedic side. We're going to put them through various metabolic tests. We're going to look at their strength, their power. So we can not only find you know orthopedically or movement-wise what their limitations are, but what their performance limitations are as well so we can craft the best possible program for them. That's a brilliant system, I have to say. It, it sounds very, you know, very comprehensive. It's similar enough to, to, to a kind of a few systems I've helped out with, with other people. You know, the the, the more uh, the group training people just got FMS and the, the semi-private and more one-on-one, -on -one, they got more in-depth sort of sessions. But it's it's a beautiful system. That's really really good. I, I think it just streamlines everything that we do. Oh, and it makes yeah, it that definitely. much simpler. Definitely. Mikey, I've often heard you say, and you, you are, you've already mentioned this at the start, that, that Bill has been such a huge influence, and I just have his name written here, Bill Hartman, in front of me on, on this piece of paper, because I, I really just want to ask, because he's like, he's like a hidden gem, like he just he doesn't blog much, like he makes the odd video here and there, but everyone I've ever spoken to who's ever had the, the pleasure of meeting, meeting him or um, speaking to him, uh, and like of course it's the same with yourself, but it's, you're obviously more uh, well known on the internet, but Bill just doesn't, see, he's like this, as I said, hidden gem, like you know, speak about Bill, like I mean, why isn't he on the internet more and you know, <laughs> to give him a slap on the wrist for me, because like I'm always like, I want to read more from this guy, but I never hear him, but T tell us again, like the influence that you have, uh, he's had on you, and, and you know, just um, just Bill in general. Right. Well, I could do like an entire podcast just talking about Bill, our relationship, um, you know, kind of how we've grown and evolved together over the years. But you know, Bill Hartman, legitimately, the analogy that I use, it's it's like 
Neo from the Matrix, right? <laughs> he, he, is, he is the chosen one, and he is at a point now, he doesn't see people, he doesn't see trees, he doesn't see houses, he sees the code. You know, and that's how Bill Hartman works. Like he is just on another level as far as his observation skills, his ability to treat people, to get them out of pain. And I can say that because he is the physical therapist. I mean, he is just exactly you, you described it very well, Robbie. He is a hidden gem. Um, and, and the reason you don't see more from Bill is because Bill is busy doing the things that he talks about. Yeah, you know? Yeah, know, there's a lot of people on the internet that I think have a ton of free time because they don't train a lot of people and they don't do a lot of real work. You know, Bill Hartman works, you know, a 40-hour week in his clinics and then he comes into the gym for probably another 15 to 20 hours every week. Oof. I mean, he's he's one of the hardest working guys I've ever met. You know, he's worked Saturdays up until this year for like 14 or 15 straight years. So, you know, it's like if he's not working, he's studying because, yeah. you know, it's like anything that he doesn't know or understand or have a grasp on, He's going to learn about it. He's going to find a book. He's going to find a resource. And, I mean, the guy is just... Friday night, for example, he posted a picture. This is probably two, three months ago now. But, you know, he had just gotten off work. He's sitting at home. He's got his favorite adult beverage sitting next to him and a book in his lap. You know, on Friday night at 5 o'clock, and you think about what most of us are doing at 5 o'clock on Friday night, it's probably the adult beverage and, you know, a room full of people. Yeah. It's definitely not the book in hand putting in the work. So, you know, that's why you don't hear as much about the guy. But, I mean, I have nothing bad to say about him. He's been such a huge influence on me. He's changed the way I think about movement and training and just, you know, the entire spectrum of what it is that we do. Mm. So, can't say enough good things about him. And uh, I'll stay on him, man. I'll try and get get him to put out more content. Definitely, definitely. And, and again, it, it, it was... Just as I was asking that question, I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to be asking about, you know, I brought you on to interview you. I, don't to, I didn't want you, know, I didn't want you to be spending like 10 minutes just talking about Bill. I just, it's more so for the listeners because I often mention, you know, Mike Robertson and Bill Hartman. And I was like, oh, I, I've heard of Mike, but I never heard of Bill. And I was like, yeah, that's because he's never out there. Like, but he's supposed to be brilliant because I also hear you saying he's brilliant. I'm like, well, if Mike thinks he's brilliant, he must be, he must be a pretty sharp cat. He's a pretty sharp guy for sure. Program design, Mike. I mean, uh, I, I would imagine program design among most of us is pretty similar but just talk us about your your kind of principles with regards to program design yeah um you know here's the big thing like when people talk about corrective exercise i'll come back to that for a minute when people talk about corrective exercise they assume it's you know the foam rolling or some mobility drills or some glute activation exercises uh you know a truly corrective program addresses dysfunction or limitations at every step of the program, right? Mm. So if somebody lacks hip extension, and I just had this discussion with my intern, Pete, yesterday. I'm sitting here talking to him about program design. Like, if somebody has a hip extension limitation, you address that every step of the way, right? Yeah. You address it by foam rolling their hip flexors. You address it by mobilizing you know, their hip flexors or their paraspinals to get them out of extension or anterior tilt. Uh, you may throw in some activation exercises for their glutes. You're going to train them with big bang, you know, kettlebell deadlifts, trap bar deadlifts, RDLs, deadlift variations, single leg RDLs. You, you see what I'm getting at here? Mm -hmm. You know, every step of your programming, you're addressing a limitation. Mm -hmm. That's true corrective exercise. Yeah. Uh, so that's how I think about it. And I think that's why 
most people assume corrective exercise is just, you know, like the foo-foo stuff that you do at the beginning, and that's not the case at all. Like, if you don't, if you put yourself in a position to do well, to succeed with all those things up front, but you don't lay the strength on top of it, or you don't cement that pattern in your body, you're not getting the most out of it. So, I mean, that's the biggest thing when it comes to program design. Uh, I think one thing that we've talked a lot about here recently is what we call our R7 approach. And I think a lot of coaches and, and trainers use this, and we've just tried to find a way to make it more universally acceptable, to find it, to make it easier to use for our clients and for our athletes so they understand it better. So essentially what we do is we have an R for each step in our training process, right? So the first thing you do when you come in, R1 is release. So that's your foam rolling, your lacrosse ball, your stick, whatever you have access to. Second would be your reset. And I know this word gets like tossed around quite a bit, but a reset is something that attempts to get your client neutral. And that could be neutral through their pelvis, neutral through their thorax, through their skull bones. Again, I don't deal with skull bones, but that is a thing that you can do if you're in like a physical therapy environment. Mm -hmm. But essentially you're trying to get the client neutral because if they're not neutral, you're never going to have optimal movement. Uh, and I should probably just mention here, if you're interested, Postural Restoration Institute, that's where we get all of our resets and a lot of our stuff like that from. So you got R1 release, R2 reset, R3 is readiness, so that's your warm-up. Uh, and you can kind of go in two directions here. It can be a more corrective uh, type warm-up, trying to get somebody into better positions or bring up weak areas. It could also be just the physiological side, right? Getting somebody moving around, uh, getting them warm, all the things that we learned about when we were like 10 years old, right? Mm -hmm. When you're in PE class or gym class or whatever. R4 is your reactive, so that's like plyometrics, jumps, ballistic exercises. If you're doing speed and agility work, it would go in there. R5 is resistance or your weight or strength training. R6, originally we called regenerate, but I got to give credit to Donnell, uh, I think it's Boucher from uh, the Citadel. He actually changed, in their program, he changed it from Regenerate to Resiliency, which I really like, because I think Resiliency people are like, yeah, you know, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to condition the way I need to. So R6 is Resiliency or Conditioning, and then R7 is Recovery, and that's where you're banging out some really good breaths, you're trying to take somebody from a very sympathetic fight-or-flight stage to a more parasympathetic, chilled-out, time-to-kickstart-the-recovery-process phase. So that's kind of how we uh, allocate it, and I blew through those. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully it gives everybody an idea of kind of how we outline our programs or the basic template that we use for every client, regardless of their end goal. That's a really lovely template as well. Uh, it's something actually that just came into my mind too when you were just speaking about program design and saying that you know the whole program design should complement where you're trying to correct. I remember, I remember you had AJ Roberts. And he, he came to go see it. I mean, and I thought that was brilliant. I remember, I think you were saying that he tries to do a deadlift and you were like, stand up. And he was like, I am standing up. And he goes, put your hips through. And he's like, I am putting my hips through. And you're like, yeah. oh, we have a problem here. And I just, yeah. just, just, just even speak about that because, again, not, not to labor on about the correct exercise, but you got AJ Roberts, one of the most strongest humans that ever, that's ever walked the planet. And even he himself it started to integrate. I think, I think he said you had him do some singing like deadlifts at Westside and everything. Yeah, I mean... It, honestly, with AJ, the biggest limitation he had was he didn't have hip extension, and he had no stability outside of, like, a deadlift or a squat stance, right? Mm -hmm. 
So his entire program was getting him some generalized hip mobility, building him an anterior core, and then we just got him some stability outside of like a squat stance because you know how they squat. It's like super wide, yeah. you know, in gear. So they're getting a ton of external stability, not only from their wide base of support, but from their powerlifting gear. Mm-hmm. So I had him do a ton of single leg work, ton of work in split stance. So all he did was get more stability through his hips, through his core, through his trunk, and he went out after that. And I mean, the guy was already a 1,000-pound squatter, and I'm definitely not going to take credit for it, but after we worked with him, he put like 50 or 100 pounds on his squat. Yeah. Because I know after that, he squatted like 1,100 pounds. Mm, yeah, he definitely so for him, power. corrective exercise was just getting some core, trunk, and hip stability. Hmm. You you, uh, you mentioned the Postural Restoration Institute, and this is another thing that's really kicked off. To everybody's talking about PRI, PRI. Uh, yep. Unfortunately for me, they haven't come to Europe yet. I think I'm going to have to. I think I'm going to have to go to America. But um, I have the online courses. But yep. uh, how how has PRI changed um, certain things among your programming? You know, the interesting thing about PRI is it's brought a couple things to light that we maybe glossed over in the past, right? Um, whether it's because of PRI or other influences, uh, we never paid as much attention to breathing as we do now. Uh, I think we're, as an industry, just so much more cognizant of how important breathing is, how if you don't fix a breathing pattern, a lot of your correctives, your resets, that foundation, foundational movement that you're chasing just won't stick or it won't be optimal. So I think PRI did a good job of that. Uh, they've done a great job of showing us some of the asymmetries uh, that we have within our body as human beings and how they manifest themselves into flawed movement. Um, so it's hard for me to explain because they've been incredibly influential to me and it's just like a part of my philosophy at this point in time. Um, and I kind of look at training and movement through that lens. Uh, but I can say this too, a good coach is doing PRI sometimes without ever knowing PRI. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, we talk a lot about the things that we were chasing uh, before we ever knew about PRI. Uh, and, and Bill Bill and I used to have this discussion. We used to see this stiff, like, left TFL a lot of the time. We'd see more anterior tilt on the left side. And we kept thinking, you know, why do we keep seeing that? Mm. Um, and, and we were constantly correcting it. If somebody was in half kneeling, we were trying to get them in a certain position or we were trying to get more hip extension out of their left side. Now, I think, you know, we always got results. We can just get results faster, and we know why we're seeing what we're seeing, if that makes sense. Um, So, you know, it's just given me an explanation or some reasoning behind why we saw the things that we saw before. And it's just allowed us to get far faster results. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like, I am not a slave to any dogma that's out there. I'll use anything, especially, you know, if it works. So, you know, it's just allowed us to make our entire approach more streamlined. It gets us faster results. And for me, it's not about my ego. It's about the client or athlete that I'm working with. I want to get them the best results possible in the shortest amount of time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> same goes here. And I'd say the same goes for anyone listening to this. But it's funny you say that, too, that you were seeing these things because... You know, on the shoulder mobility in the FMS, and I, I talked to a friend of mine called David O'Sullivan. He's a f- physiotherapist in England. Sure. Uh, he's from Ireland, but he, he works in England. But uh, I, I was saying, I was saying to him one day, I was like, David, like every time you do the functional movement screen, do you always notice that everyone's right arm is always worse 
in e- extension, internal rotation, and adduction. And he's like, yeah, when 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 the left is the upper arm and the right is the under arm. I was like, every time, no matter yeah. what, nearly everyone is worse in that pattern than than if they went left arm into extension, adduction, and uh, internal rotation. And it was just then when I heard about PRI and the rib flare, I was like, that explains it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can talk about that. You can talk about an asymmetrical leg raise yeah. with a left left hamstring appearing tighter than a right, you know, or a left leg raising being more challenging. You know, obviously there's re- ways for people to get around that. Mm. <laughs> they can cheat the system. But, uh, you know, that's another thing that you can do. And we've done this a little bit too where we've kind of intermingled some of the PRI test with the FMS. Yeah, yeah. So we get an idea of not just their FMS score, but where they're non-neutral, what uh, PRI resets they need. Uh, because there are people where... You know, for example, I'll look at an asymmetrical leg raise, right? And mm-hmm. let's say somebody has a one-two. So they're a one on the left leg and a two on the right. Well, a lot of times for those people, I can give them a reset that targets their left hamstring. I can get their left hemipelvis neutral. And then all of a sudden, I've got a neutral or I've got a symmetrical leg raise side to side. Brilliant, yeah. yeah. You know, so, you know, there's just, once you understand the principles and you understand what you're looking at, then you can make your own rules as far as how you want to address dysfunctions or limitations. Brilliant. You've, you've come out with a lot of products uh, for the knees, Mike. Bulletproof, uh, bulletproof knees. I, I bought that many, many years ago. And I think, yep. you, I think you yourself had a lot of knee issues. Uh, you know, why do you think the knee is an area that, that takes a lot of abuse? A lot of people seem to have a lot of knee issues. And what would you recommend for people with the knee issues? Yeah, you know, the hard thing about the knee is it does so little on its own mm. and I think I, I go to great lengths in bulletproof knees to to belabor that point right you know it's so influenced by stability at the foot ankle mobility hip mobility uh, hip stability as well which I talk about actually in single leg solution you know and, and all that is dependent upon you know the position of your core and your trunk and your pelvis so it's just so hard to say yes you have knee pain therefore you have a knee problem um, so when you start to look at all the possible uh, reasons that somebody could have knee pain, you have to take a step back. You have to look at the big picture. And it, I've also I've kind of been bouncing around the idea of revamping the manual because it is, I mean, I'm trying to think. I probably released that in 07. Mm-hmm. So it's six years old. And while, you know, probably 90% of it is still spot on, I think I could fill in a lot of the gaps at this point. Uh, I've got more insights as to why people have these issues and I would probably start a lot of the programming literally from the inside out you know uh, you talk about a scissored posture and you talk about the core and rib flares and you know anterior tilts and lumbar extension you know if you fix that it's it's amazing how many other things fall into place so I would say my approach now to knee training and, and, and keeping these healthy is even more global now than it was six or seven years ago and a lot of times when people saw my stuff back then, they're like, man, this guy, what is he smoking, you know? Like, <laughs> like who cares about hip, ankles and hips? Like, I just want my knees to stop hurting, so. Yeah, yeah, I get that, I get that. You get, you do get that a lot once people come in, like, and they might have pain at their knee or their back, and they're like, you're looking at a completely, you know, uh, other place, like, say, with the back, you're there looking at their T-spine, and they're breathing, and they're like, dude, it's my back, and you're like, yeah, I know, I'm not your back. Yeah, don't don't worry, I've got this. <laughs> yeah. Uh periodization, Mike. Um obviously with, with general clientele, it's it's 
you know, like again, the word, like I mean, periodization. I mean, if you're just managing training, you're basically doing periodization. But periodization will say maybe with your higher level athlete um, or anyone really. Just w- what is your take in general periodization? Yeah, uh, you know, here's the interesting thing about what I do is I'm not like your traditional sport performance coach or sports strength and conditioning coach yeah and the fact that i don't have my athletes year round mm-hmm. um i don't know how much that would change what i do but it would definitely change my mindset and maybe my approach and how i do things a lot of times i'll have you know as short as two months with my mls guys yeah uh up to three or four months with somebody that's getting ready for the nba or major league baseball or the nfl so if i've got a longer period of time the bottom line is I can do more stuff, right? And I can kind of slow roll their approach. Uh, a lot of times I'll take a month and, and work on basic stuff, right? We'll hammer movement. We'll focus on, uh, you know, building some connective tissue strength. So shorter rest periods, higher volumes of training. We'll develop that aerobic base. And again, we can start off with more low intensity means. And then it's just building. Uh, I liken it to a crescendo in music, right? You're slowly kind of building up. Uh, so then we'll typically move into like a max strength phase for you know three to four weeks based on how long I have them and we'll really focus on getting stronger and then from that point in time I generally only have a month or two left so a lot of times we got to start to convert that right and it's got to be sport specific because while strength is great max strength or the ability to you know grind something out for five or ten seconds isn't always applicable on the field or on the court so you have to take the time to convert that into power of some sort. And it could be, you know, more low-end power, uh, where you're more strength-speed on the continuum. Mm-hmm. Or it could be more speed-strength, where it's much more fast and explosive. So at that point in time, I'm trying to marry the power training with the specific energy system training so that they can go out, they can be explosive, they can be strong, they can be powerful. But most importantly, they're more fatigue-resistant because one of the biggest issues I see nowadays is if somebody is not conditioned appropriately, they're going to get injured. Uh, Because fatigue makes, what's the the quote, fatigue makes cowards of all of us or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's something to that. And I read a a study somewhere here recently or a quote or a statistic that 40% of the ACL tears in the NBA occur in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, you know, fatigue changes everything. That's a Bill Hartman quote. So. I, was just, I was about to say, Bill was one of the first persons I, I heard really talk about fatigue's impact on injury. I mean, it was on it was on the Strength Coach podcast oh, years ago. It must have been like, I think it was episode 33 or something like that. So it's a long, long time ago. But he was speaking about a runner. He, he, was, he was treating and the runner uh, had a hip issue or some sort of pain issue, hip or knee or something or back or something like that. Anyway, yep. he'd pain somewhere and... and he was assessing him and he didn't seem to be having him, uh, you know, too bad. And Bill was like, when does it hurt you? He's like, about like five, six minutes into a run, he's like, go run him. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, go run him and come back to me. <laughs> so yep. the guy came back after a few minutes and it was just like, and then Bill could see, oh, Jesus, the fatigue is like, absolutely, you're not moving at all now. Yeah. So it's very, very, very interesting yeah, that, you know, the fatigue is, is another factor that we absolutely have to consider and the energy systems have to be married with the good movement. As you said at the very beginning, you know, you have your movement and your strength and then your energy systems. Absolutely. Uh, power lift the mic. Uh, uh, our last few minutes, about five minutes and I'll let you go because like we said 45 minutes. Any 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 chance of you, you stepping back onto the, to the stage? Yeah, you know, um, powerlifting for me is like something I, it's in my blood. Um, you know, you hear, you know, the quote from the 
godfather, you know, just when they think I'm out, you know, they pull me back in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, powerlifting is kind of like that for me. Um, you know, every time I, I think, hey, you know, I, I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at, you know, I start, you know, training seriously, I start deadlifting heavy again, or squatting heavy again, and I just, it, it's like this insatiable urge that I cannot stop. So, uh, I did a meet in 2011. Uh, I felt like I did pretty well. I set a personal best deadlift. Uh, I was in a one, 181, which that was the first time I'd been in that class in nine years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think once Cade gets a little bit older, because he's only six weeks right now, yeah, and yeah. Uh, my daughter's three and she's not letting us sleep either. So, um, you know, once I can get consistent as far as recovery goes, you know, I think you're going to see me back out there. There's really, I can't get it out of my system. I'm going to always probably do it off and on. And it's probably not going to be super consistent. I'm not going to be one of these guys that does three meets a year anymore. But, uh, you know, it's probably going to be one of those things where, you know, once a year, once every other year, I'm going to go out there just because uh, it keeps me honest. You know, I remember John Berardi saying, like, once or twice a year, he tries to get really lean or something like that um, just to keep himself accountable. Mm. Uh, And and there's something to that, right? Because uh, all my athletes that I work with, my staff, they're accountable to me. Uh, but I don't necessarily have that same luxury, so you know I got to keep myself accountable in some way, and and a powerlifting me is a great way for me to do that. Yeah, I take it there's a lot of, a lot of caffeine consumed in the Robinson household at the moment. Man, there were two cups down before eight a.m. this morning, my friend. So uh, I don't recommend that, but you know uh, I slept about four hours last night. So sometimes you got to do what you got to do to power through. Just mind those adrenal glands. Yes, exactly. Hopefully, I don't have too much adrenal fatigue right now. Mm. Um, last, last, uh, last question, Mike. Um, resources for any of the young coaches. I always love asking people what what are their resources. It's always great to hear coaches mention these are my favorite books, these are my DVDs. I recommend this course. What would you recommend to not even just a, a beginner or young coach, any coach? You know, that's a tough question because I'm sitting in my office right now, and we just built this great set of bookshelves. And I already need another set of bookshelves <laughs> same, because same you here. know uh, I'm constantly buying books, I'm constantly buying DVDs, you know, all kinds of resources. Um, I- instead of giving you like specific resources, how about I throw you a couple names? Okay. Because these are people that I love learning from. Um, when it comes to movement, go to Gray Cook. Uh, he's the man. Uh, if you're serious about building better athletes, better moving athletes, or clients, Gray Cook is your guy. Um, if you're interested in energy system training, read Joel Jameson stuff, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, his MMA book, which is a steal, it's like 30 or 40 bucks. Oh, it's one of my favorite books. It, it's one of my top five. Yeah, you know? me too. I always tell people that, and everyone's like, really? I'm like, because uh, they all think, because it says ultimate MMA, MMA. I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, take away MMA and replace that with sports, and it's ultimate sports conditioning. <laughs> And he'd be a millionaire at this point in time. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully we can convince him to rewrite it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, it's it just such a solid resource. Mm. So you've got that uh, for energy system training. If you do any kind of speed and agility training, Lee Taft uh, yeah. is, is my guy. Like, he's just so wonderfully talented, and he makes it so simple. And he's, and he's a um, gent. Oh, my gosh. He's amazing. Love, love Greg Cook, or <laughs> love Lee Taft. When it comes to like strength training, uh, I like guys that are more simple and watered down. I love like a Jim Windler. I love Dan John, um, you know Pavel, guys that have, have made it very simple. 
they probably err more on like the motor control side of things versus you know one lift a week uh just you know i believe you have to train the big movements if you want to get better at the big yeah, movements yeah. um and then if you're looking at periodization you can read tutor bampa just so you have like like a foundation but if you train high level athletes you need to get into higher level stuff like an isuran and block periodization that sort of thing so you know, yeah. there's some like overarching recommendations, and then there's some uh, specific nuggets in there too. I'm just uh, what what about what about any kind of maybe mindset or business or even uh, spiritual or philosophy philosophy type books, anything on those ends? Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I, I read a fair amount of that stuff too. Um, if it comes to business, especially like fitness business stuff, uh, I love Alan. I love uh, Pat Rigsby. Mm. I mean, he's my personal like go-to business advisor. Uh, Thomas Plummer, obviously, I think everybody's kind of learned from him at some point in time. Yeah. Uh, if it's more general business stuff, I like Dan Kennedy. Um, I think he's got some really wonderful insights. He's going to make you look yourself in the mirror as far as how you manage time, Definitely, how you yeah. manage staff. Uh, so great stuff there. And then as far as just like more like spiritual type stuff, I like uh, a guy named Robin Sharma. Um, you know, for whatever reason, his books, his writing, his videos are, they resonate with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he helps keep you centered mm-hmm. as far as, you know, what's important in life. And that's that's always the challenge that we in our industry face. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already in the upper, you know, percentile of trainers and coaches out there. So you're going to have a natural tendency to push maybe more than is normal or natural. So it's good to have that spiritual or that emotional connection to the people and things around you so you know i think that's always important to connect yourself with that side of yourself you know as often as possible the, the monk who sold his ferrari that's one of his books isn't it yes sir yep the monk that sold his ferrari and uh there's a maybe yeah that's the one that i have it's just tapped all over the place yeah it's a brilliant brilliant book yeah, it, it's a great book yeah mike robertson that is our 45 minutes done and dusted my friend i really really appreciate it it was just for anyone listening mike mike is so busy that we organized this interview like four weeks ago and he's like we'll do it on november 19th at 9 45 well it was actually 10 originally and it was like 9 45 that tells you how busy this guy is so uh for me and all my listeners really appreciate you taking out your 45 minutes and you know you're only four hours sleeping with the with the young children and t- <laughs> You know, My you're pleasure. you're an absolute gentleman, so I really appreciate it. Just just hold on line, and I'll say a quick goodbye to you offline. But for all the listeners, guys, uh, thanks for all downloading the podcast and listening. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, be well, and mind yourselves. Mm-hmm.